Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is part one of a two-part interview with Chef Marc Forgione on Chef Story. Welcome to Chef Story. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton, and today we're broadcasting from the International Culinary Center. And I'm very excited because I am sitting here with um, an Iron Chef <laughs> uh, and a cookbook author, but mostly known as one of our best and brightest young chefs in the restaurant industry today, Mark Forgione. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. So, Mark, if for those of you who didn't catch him on Iron Chef or has not seen um, uh, his beautiful uh, book, uh, we, Mark has Restaurant Mark Forgione here in New York City, and he has American Cut down in Atlantic City at the uh, Ravel Resort and Casino. And in, oh, where is it? New York. Tribeca. Oh, in Tribeca, too. Oh, okay. And Keo, a Laotian restaurant. I'm going to get into that later. Uh, but uh, uh, I just want to welcome you. Uh, and you, I mean, you were a rising star chef in 2008 by Restaurant Hospitality and Star Chefs in 2010. And you were the key newcomer in Zagat in 2009, top 25 restaurants in New York City by Modern Luxury. Um, you got its the um, restaurant Mark Forgione uh, got a two star review from Sam Sifton in the New York Times and received its first Michelin star in 2010, followed by a star each year in 2011 and 12. You were the youngest American to get a Michelin star, and you won, as I said before, Iron Chef in 2010. So I know there's a lot of Mark Forgione wannabes out there. And they want to know how you got to be Mark Forgione. So, so tell me. Um, and of course, he's the son of legendary chef, and who's called the Godfather of American cuisine, Larry Forgione. So, Mark, where'd you grow up? Um, I'm actually one of the few uh, people that live in Manhattan that was born in Manhattan. You were born in Manhattan. So I was, was I. Where were you born? Um, what's the one on the Lower East Side? Beth, Beth Israel? Is oh, Beth Israel. Oh, good. Um, so I was born there, moved to Long Island when I was four, four, I think four or five years old. And I grew up in uh, Floral Park, Long Island, Nassau County. You know, I can believe that because, as you probably know, Andre Sultner teaches here. Mm -hmm. And he was here yesterday. And he saw your book on my desk. I <laughs> wasn't here. And he said to my assistant, Marc Forgione. <laughs> I haven't seen... You know the last time I saw Marc Forgione? Do you remember the last time you saw Andre Soltner? I want to say it was the 30th anniversary at the River Cafe. I think. No, it wasn't there. He said, 
I was at the River Cafe, and he was in a crib. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I was at the River Cafe yesterday. Really? Yeah, we were doing a, um, a fundraiser for Jerry Hayden. And uh, I used to go there when I was four or five years old. Not even. Three. I mean, The River Cafe in Brooklyn was it was made, the River Cafe, by Mark's father, Larry Fortier. Yeah, and he was, okay, the chef, he was the chef there from 77 to 82. So that means at the most I was four years old. But I, every time I go back there, like I remember being a little kid, like sitting in the back seat of my dad's car or my mom's car, and like driving around the, you know, the tree when you when you pull in and sitting on the deck and like kind of skipping shells or rocks and it's just it's crazy how it all comes back and how young I was. I remember sitting on the piano with the guy who's still there playing the piano. By the way. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, so, it's really really cool. And people remember you from. <laughs> They, well, they remember me a lot smaller, <laughs> but a lot yeah. Smaller, yeah. So, so tell me, so your early memories probably are not of Manhattan, but of Long Island, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, we take it you had good food in your house, but what? Well, my like mother's my mother's a great cook too. Yeah, I, I understand her meatballs are pretty good. Yeah, they they met at the Culinary Institute, so. Oh, they're both trained chefs. Yeah. Ah. So I mean, like I said, I, I grew up eating uh, real food. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't like anything fancy. Like some people have this like vision of me, you know, sitting at like you know a fully set table, like you know eating creme fraiche and caviar, you know, out of a twenty-four karat gold spoon or something like for lunch. Like we lived a very normal normal life. You know, my dad was always working, uh, so you know my mom, um, you know, was the one that was always cooking and you know being there. You know, he was he would leave at eleven in the morning and come back at midnight, just like any other chef so mm-hmm. um, but so what kind of kid were you let's forget about the food what kind of kid were you what are you what, what, what were you into in I was always school? getting into trouble um, but fun trouble not like bad trouble you know right. what I mean like you know what I've always messing around in school always in detention um, did you go what kind of did you go to the public schools out there I went to public school until third grade and then the public school recommended to my parents that I go to a private school <laughs> <laughs> So, um, did you have a favorite subject? I was never a big fan of school in general. Um, I was always good in math, but, you know... Um, what about sports? Sports I always loved. Um, always played sports up until... Um, I even went to college for sports, but I, pl- I was always playing something from the time I was six years old till I was 20. So, what kind of sports? Soccer, football, lacrosse, baseball, basketball. So where did you go to college and what did, what sport did you follow there? I went to UMass to play lacrosse, University of Massachusetts. So you were that good? I was pretty good at lacrosse, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, when, and you studied hospitality up there? Or? I actually went to college to see if there was something else in my life other than cooking because I started cooking when I was like 16-ish, 17-ish. Um, Why did you start cooking at 16-ish? You know, I don't really... It wasn't like I said, okay, I want to be a chef, because it was never like that. You know, it was always what my dad did, and, you know, not everybody wants to do what their dad does, you know. Um, it was more of like I needed money type thing, and my very first job was at a catering hall, and um, somehow, some way, I just kind of gravitated into the back, you know. I started washing dishes, and all of a sudden, I was helping the guys prep, and... I was kind of doing everything, but I always, it's, it's like a magnet. The kitchen, to me, is always like a magnet, and then... What about the kitchen is the magnet? People? I don't, the, everything. I love it. I mean, you know, you can ask people around me even today. 
Um, you know, I have all this other stuff going around, but, you know, I, I have to get in the kitchen at some point almost every day or I, I get kind of depressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just I always, not just the kitchen, but the whole restaurant business, I just always, always loved it. Um, you know, coming to the restaurant with my dad when I was a kid, like I was just talking about before about the River Cafe and then obviously an American place, like... For me, it was like going to Disneyland, you know what I mean? Like, I loved walking in. I loved seeing the, the hostesses and so, the managers. So and getting back to your kid, because we're going to get to that. <laughs> when you were a kid and you were naughty, how yeah. would your parents discipline you? Um, you know, my mom would... I mean, <laughs> it's a funny question. Um, we did get hit with a wooden spoon in my house. A wooden a spoon, not a ruler. We did get the wooden spoon. They were spoon. teachers, you'd have the ruler. We got the wooden spoon. They were horse trainers, you'd have the wooden My mom never hit me, but my mom would basically tell my dad the story of what happened and then... Is your mom Italian-American too? No, she's uh, Czech and French. Oh, I'm Czech, so that's interesting. Oh. Did she make pierogies? No, she never... She didn't, like, grow up, like... You know, with the culinary like background, mm. check like that kind of stuff. Mm. Like she actually started cooking in her house when she was fifteen. Oh. Um, so her background is like more, I would say, like American kind of. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so she, so you got the wooden spoon. We got the wooden spoon. Like I said, I was, you, you can ask siblings? my mother. I was, I was grounded. Grounded. My entire life. <laughs> and, you know, I was a kid that if you were grounded, I'd sneak out the window and climb down a tree. And, you know what I mean? It was just always, but it was always fun trouble. I mean, yeah. you know, every once in a while I crossed the line and did some really stupid stuff. But, um, you know, more or less it was it was fun trouble. You have siblings? I do have three, and I'm the oldest. Oh. So, and the sisters, brothers? Two brothers and a sister. Uh-huh. And so as the oldest, did you feel a responsibility? Yeah, I mean, it was tough love, I think, you know what I mean? Like, you know, if you ask my my second brother is a year and a half younger, and then there's a six-year gap, and then there's a brother and a sister. So if you ask the, the Brian, who's 18 months younger than me, you know, I mean, I definitely beat him up a lot growing up, but also protected him a lot as well, you know what I mean? So it was, it was tough love. And you could ask him more about that if you probably get a so, better story. So how did you decide on UMass? Um, I don't know. There was something about UMass that... Uh, well, my mother's from Massachusetts. Maybe that had okay, something to do okay. with it. Um, you know, UMass was a top ten lacrosse team. Um, and UMass was always kind of known for having, like, a wild side, you know? It was called the zoo. Oh, um, yeah? You know, UMass lacrosse players were called gorillas. Like, it was just... You know, it seemed like a fun place to go to. Um, but that didn't last long. I didn't even play the first year. Why? It was too much. Too much with the coursework? Yeah, just the- too much lacrosse. Like, it was, you know, I, I played sports in high school because it was fun. You know what I mean? And got to college and it just turned into work. You know, it was like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 5 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, 5-mile run, you know, 2 hours of weightlifting, 3 hours of practice, 2 hours of study hall. And I was like an 18-year-old kid just trying to have fun and play some lacrosse. I was like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> so so, uh, so, what did you study in college? Uh, well, like I said before, I kind of went to college to get away from cooking to see if there was something else. So I think my first major was psychology, mm-hmm. which I'm still very interested in. Um, and you can use in the kitchen. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tell people all the time being a chef is, you know, you're basically a therapist, mm-hmm. you know. Um, 
But anyway, so I started with psychology. I wanted to know what made psychopaths psycho. Um, that stuff still kind of fascinates me. Oh, did it come to any conclusion? No, and there's every book you read about it, there, it's, there's no conclusion at the end. You know, why, why do some people flip their lid and kill 20 people and you don't know why and they were raised with two parents that loved them and then there's other people who were abused it's like it's just something in the in the brain that yeah. that, that fascinates me yeah um and then what did I do uh, I majored in forestry forestry <laughs> oh well you know this is you know you can both of these psychologists in the kitchen with the team Forestry, knowing you know the plant life, and yeah, it was it was my hippie stage. You know, I think every shirt that I had was tie dye. <laughs> you know, I had dread, I had dreadlocks. Up in um, Massachusetts, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I would walk to class barefoot in um, the snow. <laughs> well, no, I mean in the spring and summer. But I was I was yeah. I was a hippie. I was, you know, I had the big giant goatee and you know the hemp necklaces and. Um, That's cool. Yeah, so my idea at the time was, you know, I'll just be a, a forest ranger. Um, um, Can you identify trees now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was also smoking a lot of pot back then, so I don't remember anything. That I went. And then after that, I think it was sociology, check something. So you're a real people person. Yeah, and then, and then I dropped out of school for, for a year. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to what I said about high school, like, you know, I just... School never. I also have really bad ADD, which maybe back then people didn't um, identify. Realize, you know what yeah, I mean? Or, yeah. but I'm actually glad that I didn't get any medication for it because sure. I don't agree with giving kids medication. Yeah. Um, so you know, I had a hard time concentrating in school, and like mm-hmm. you know, if somebody told me I needed to have an 82 average to go to UMass, I got an 82.5 average. You know what right. I mean? And I could have got a 92.5 if I wanted to. I just right. I didn't care. Right. So. Um, but anyway, so I left school, and then that was when I worked, and this is, at this point now, this would have been my fourth job, but I worked in a kitchen with um, Kazuto Fan and Vicky from Shinwa uh, and Maine in oh, Santa yeah. Monica. Yeah, Puck's place. Yeah, yeah. They, they were the opening chefs of Shinwa and Maine. And, um, Where, you were out there? No, they were here for a short time. It was a place called Above oh. in, in the Hilton. Mm-hmm. Amazing food really clean simple um but I really fell in love with that and then I did a six or seven month stint at the grill room uh down in the financial center and I think so you walked in and you you know was that sort of feeling at home because of your father's restaurants no none of the none of my dad's restaurants they they never treated me like 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 the kid you know what I mean it was look if you want to do this we're going to pay you you have to be just like anybody else mm-hmm. you know there was never any special treatment or mm-hmm. you know pretty contrary actually I mean you know I probably had to work a little harder because mm-hmm. you know everybody was kind of watching me with one eye whether it was a cook or a sous chef or, mm-hmm. or whatever um, but it was that year off that I said okay you know I enjoy cooking, like, you know, and actually when I went back to school, I was still trying to figure out what I was going to major in, and I used to do these dinners at college, like, for my friends, we'd call it uh, $5 in a dream, and they'd all give me five bucks, and I'd go to the grocery store, and I'd cook dinner, and, you know, in college, at the t- you know, everybody was eating, you know, frozen hot pockets and stuff, so to have a home-cooked meal, 
um, was really nice. So I'd usually do it for like anywhere from 10 to 15 people. And, you know, there was one of those nights where I was cooking this dinner and I'm just like looking at myself like, you know, I don't feel like waking up for, you know, psych class tomorrow, you know what I mean? But I'm having fun cooking right now. Like, you know, maybe instead of trying to run from it just because that's what my dad did, like, you know, screw it. Like, you like it, you know what I mean? Um, so I did he up, have any wisdom for you during those years? Did he just let you be, or was he trying to... He never pushed me into the business, and when I did decide, okay, I think I want to do this, um, you know, me and him went out for sushi, and we were talking, and, you know, he basically didn't... He wasn't trying to scare me, but he basically said, like, you know, just understand that, you know, your life's not going to be normal. you got to understand that you're working on holidays, you work on the weekends... Um, you know, the people that you're friends with now, it's probably going to be hard to stay friends with them because they're going to work normal lives. Um, you know, it just painted, you know, laid it out for me, you know what I mean? And How did you feel as a kid with a father chef who was never home at night, worked on the weekends and the holidays? You know, I didn't know anything else. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he was like my second dad so I could compare him to my first dad. It was just like <laughs> was my dad, you know what I mean? That's how it was. And... Um, so to me, it wasn't weird, you know what I mean? Like, when I would go to eat at other people's houses and see the dad there, that was weird to me. You know, I'm like, oh, your dad's here for dinner? Like, <laughs> whoa. So you when know? would you have the family bonding time? On the weekends, say Sunday. Um, uh, vacations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Monday through Friday, it was, um, you know, it was just, just us, you know. I don't think it's so weird anymore because I, I don't think people work nine to five. Yeah. Well, now it's probably different a little bit. Mom's in the kitchen, and you know the family is sitting there. We we all talk about having that family bonding time around the table, right. but people are are their everyone's schedule is so different, and then yeah. they, you know so it's not quite the Ozzy and Harriet right. David to Beaver days. No, and again for me, I don't know what that is. You know, it's it's not that's as abnormal to me as anything you could. You know, somebody that looks at me and says, well, you work 80 hours a week? Like, I don't know. That's just that's normal to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you went back to school. Went back to school, did HRTA. After doing the, the culinary yeah. year. Went back to school, majored in HRTA, which so coincidentally. That's uh, hospitality. Yeah, UMass was the number four HRTA program in the whole country. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, it was just like really kind of fell into it. Um, Did you enjoy it? Yes. <laughs> not really. <laughs> because it was schoolwork. Yeah, I mean, I had I had fun in the in the in certain classes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, I ended up teaching one of the cooking classes. Really? Um, the first day we showed up, you know, the TA, the teacher assistant, um, I, I could tell she had no idea what she was talking about. You know, and it was like, you know, make chicken stock, you know, make, you know, a bouquet garni, like stuff like that. But the first day I watched, you know, one of the other students kind of go up to her and ask her, like, which one's the shallot? And I could tell she didn't know which one was the shallot. So I just kind of walked My over. My God. And like, went like that to the shallot because I didn't want to embarrass her. And then after the class that day, I, I kind of pulled her aside and I was like, look, you know, just give me a guaranteed A in this course and I'll, I'll help you out. <laughs> Easy A. <laughs> Um, but I ended up... Uh, that class was lucky. <laughs> Can you imagine what people are saying today about, do you know who told me? You're mad. But, um, so I graduated actually uh, with good grades. 
from from the HRTA and got well, my and bachelor. What was your dream when you graduated? I still didn't know. Um, and I tell kids all the time, you don't have to know. Right. You know I what I mean? Like, you. relax. And everybody feels like you got to know what you want to do when you're 15 years old. Like, I have no idea. You know, I, I joke around that even now I'm still not sure what I want to do, you know? So, I, you know, my advice to kids is just chill out. It's okay to not know. You know, I think everything is instant gratification now. and You don't have to do one thing your whole life. Right. Exactly. You know, this could be a 15-year gig for right. you. And if yeah. you're 18 years old and you don't know what you want to do yet, like, it's okay. Even if everybody else that you're friends with knows what they want to do, it's all right. You know? Um, but when I got out of college, I traveled through Europe. I backpacked through Europe, which was a really life-changing experience. Okay. Well, let's take a break here. We'll come back to Europe. Okay. The following program is brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. Welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Today I'm speaking with Mark Forgione of Mark Forgione Restaurant, American Cut in Keogh. And we're just uh, leaving his childhood and adolescence, graduated UMass, and he's off backpacking in Europe. Where'd you go? Uh, it was me and five of my college buddies. Um, oh, fun. And this was, you know, before the Euro, um, before cell phones. Um, so it was like, you know, traveling like with a map, a paper map, imagine. <laughs> um, no GPS. No GPS. Uh, just six young, dumb college kids with backpacks on. Um, what was your dream going over there? Like, what were the top three things you wanted to do in Europe? We just wanted to experience, you know what I mean? Like, you know, let's let's go, uh, let's go there and, and experience and see what happens. You know, we we had a, a plan when we got there, and we burned the plan two weeks into it. Um, we started in London, and you know, going to like the museums and you know the the London Tower and blah blah. blah. And it almost kind of felt like a school trip at first, and then finally, as we were like planning, I don't remember exactly where we were going, but. We all just kind of looked at each other and like said, you know what? Like, give me the map, and we burned the map. <laughs> we literally burned the map, and it was like kind of like a weight off everyone's shoulders. And we said, all right, where do we want to go? You know what? Let's get off here. Let's go to a bar and let's talk to some locals. And we did the rest of our trip like that, and meeting other travelers and just going from place to place. And we ended up going to. I think it was like 13 countries and like 30 cities and you know we were there for 11 weeks it was just awesome um, did the food make an impact well I was just about to say like you know it was the first time I think I saw you know the Europeans and you know things have changed a little now I mean this is 16 17 years ago but you know 
Europeans, the way that they, they looked at food and the way that the dining and the way that just eating in someone's house, like the hospitality and the way that they take two hours to sit down and eat a meal and, you know what I mean, there's, there's always water poured for you when you sit down. Like, it was almost like, it was just watching these people and how much they cared and respected food. Like, even if it was a simple... I don't know, the fact that you couldn't get a coffee to go when you're in Italy, you know what I mean? Yeah. You had to sit down and you had to drink an espresso, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or even, like, the street food. I mean, it was like, you know, there was, like, little chairs set up outside the, the thing, like, and, the, you know, it just changed the way that I looked at food and, and, and culture and, and to see this, you know, especially when we were in Italy, um, you know, eating in people's houses and the way that they cared about the ingredients and you know taking a hike up the mountain to fill up a bottle of water from a stream and you know killing a chicken and then eating it that night and you know it was a it was a wild wild experience um there was one day in italy i mean i'll never forget we we had like a raft basically and there was this island in cinque terra was probably like a hundred yards from the shore and we took the raft out and as the waves would pull us, as we saw these muscles attached to the to this island, so we would sit on sit on the raft, and as the wave would push you in, you'd grab as many muscles as you could, throw them on the raft, and then the wave would come <laughs> back down, and we took all the muscles back, and it took us about two hours to clean them all because they were really, really, really dirty. Um, and then we sat down in Cinque Terre with this, you know, jug of homemade wine with the woman who made the wine and the guy that sold us the raft and. You know what I mean? It was just like stuff like that as a 20-year-old kid. Like, you know, you don't really get to experience that kind of stuff. So I definitely came back from that trip um, excited about food and kind of knowing that, okay, I think I'm going to do this, you know, for, for real. Um, and I literally got off the plane and my dad needed help at an American place at the time. Unpacked my bag from that trip, went straight to work. So how long <laughs> did you stay working. at American place? What was your formation? How did on and off, I probably spent a total of a year and a half, two years at an American place, whether it was like three months and then took some time. And Was it hard working for you, Dad? No, American place was an unbelievable place to work. I know, but it's your dad. I, mean, I don't mean to say that a hard Again, it, it never felt like I was working at Dad's restaurant. It, it just felt like I was going to work. Right. You know so what I mean? So you were treated just like everyone else oh, in yeah. the kitchen. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean... Um, and I, you know, I think if you ask him, he'll probably tell you that he said to the chefs, "Make sure you you're true." I, I, for example, when I hired my cousin, I pulled him aside and said, "You know, don't you dare act like you're my cousin." You know what I mean? Like, you know, you work here, you're an employee, just like everybody else. And right. I said to the chefs, "Make sure he doesn't get any special treatment." And it's trust me when I tell you, it's quite the contrary. Right. <laughs> you get beat up because of who you are, not taken care of. Right. Um, so you American place. So who were the chefs that were so formative for you? Uh, well, Richie Durazzi was my father chef for twenty five years. Um, just a great blue collar, hard working uh, chef's chef. You know what I mean? Um, and then you know, in the early years, I went from an American place. I skipped, like I said before, Kazuto was a huge influence on me. Um, and then I went to work with uh, Patricia Yeo yeah. and Pino Maffeo. And uh, Pino was a real, um, not just as a chef, but he was the first person, I think, to like take me under their wing and show me how to be a man and a chef. And 
how to lead people by example and you know if, if you're going to be a sous chef like you know take the guys out for a drink after work but make sure you're the first one in there the next day you know what I mean and you know if, if you're tired or you're hungover or you're sick like don't ever let anybody else see that you know what I mean um, you know always show them that you can do it better than them and if and if they're slacking push them aside and do it yourself and he was like he, it was almost like he was like a man life man chef life coach I don't know how to describe it you know what I mean and I still to this day like you know um, hold him yeah I really do um, and it's gone on to many many different people you know what I mean um, he's inspiration yeah he was just where is he today he's in uh, Mass- uh, yeah in Boston. Boston he had uh, you know his, he was really on an up and up he won food wine best new chef in like 2000 I don't know four or five something like that um, but it had some bad luck bad partners yeah happens um so then... And then I had... Uh, obviously, I met Laurent Torndell, yeah. um, who really kind of shifted everything for me. I mean... Um, what does that mean? I got to spend a month... It was just me and Laurent in a kitchen uh, coming up with the concept for BLT. I mean, which now sounds crazy because BLT is like this gigantic empire. But before there was BLT, it wasn't BLT. I mean, we didn't even know what we were going to call it yet. <laughs> Um, you know, Laurent, I got so lucky. He took over, AZ closed, and then Laurent took it over. And um, the manager of AZ said to Laurent, like, hey, you should keep this guy. You know, so I, I was the only one that got kept from the staff. And, you know, Laurent was, you know, four star trained French, very fancy, brilliant, brilliant cello, you know, cello. And, cello yeah, I mean, you know. Very exciting. Right. So, for him, you know, he basically sat me down and said, hey, I want to open an American steakhouse, you know, how do you make steak sauce? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how, you know, what, uh, you know, what goes into, um, you know, making, uh, you know, I, you know, I can't think of anything right now, a, a crab yeah, cake. Cream, cream, spinach. spinach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that kind of stuff, like, yeah. crazy. And, like, yeah. I'm, here I am, I'm a 20, I was 20... 25 maybe 24 somewhere around there you know what I mean and I'm sitting with with Laurent Tornadel and so was his style as a French chef different from the chefs that you were an American chef I had never yeah I had never worked with a a polished French chef before how is it different um I don't know it's kind of like I don't know I look at heavy metal sorry I look at at American kind of cooking in kitchens almost like rock and roll you know what I mean and then I feel like when you when you go into a French kitchen it's almost like a like a little bit of like a, a symphony you know what I mean it's just different not either one is better or worse it's just a little different and like you know the way that Laurent you know he taught me you know the way that he would teach me to make a sauce was a little different you know what I mean like instead of chopping the onions you thinly slice the onions you know what I mean instead of um Again, you know, just chopping the carrot, you know what I mean? You peeled it, you took off the top and the bottom, you know what I mean? And you cut it slightly on an angle. Does it really make a difference in the end of the sauce? I don't know, taste-wise, but that's just how he did it. That's how he was trained. And there was an elegance to his cooking that um, I don't think I had I had seen before, you know what I mean? And it was very exciting for me. So Elegance is a good word, I think. Yeah. So yeah. we opened BLT Steak together. Um 
but I had already committed to going to France uh, before yeah, I, before I met Laurent to? Uh, uh, with uh, Michel Gerard. Wow. So, uh, kind of a funny, again, coincidental story, like how I fell into this HRTA thing. So, I was reading, uh, it was Bon Appetit or Food and Wine, one of those magazines, and there was a three-page spread on Michel Gerard, and, um, you know, it just looked like heaven. I mean, you know, grow your own herbs, and there's animals on the property, and, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and, you know, three-star Michelin for 30 years, and blah, 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 blah. So... Um, after reading this, I actually went to my, my parents and said, I think I want to go to, I want to, go to France, um, and I want to go here. And my dad just kind of smiled, like laughed, and turned out that he worked with Michel Girard 30 years ago, and I didn't, I didn't know that. I had no clue. Um, so he's like, you know, okay. And uh, he thought it was very strange and funny and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, he wrote a letter, and um, they don't take Americans there. Um, for whatever reason, I think it was had something to do with unemployment or you know whatever visa is very difficult to get. But Michelle said, uh, you know, for you we'll we'll do this favor, and so it was a huge deal for me to get to go there. What did you learn? Um, so much. I mean, that was probably the most formative year of my life. Um, this was back when <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but you know. Americans were calling French fries freedom fries. Oh, I remember. Pour, pour, <laughs> it's the pouring, French Culinary uh, Institute. You know, pouring I Bordeaux in the street. <laughs> yes. And, what a waste. Yeah, I mean, that, but this was when I go to France. Right. I mean, so it couldn't have been a worse time, I think, for an American to, yeah, to, to go into there. a French kitchen. Um, you know, and Chirac and George Bush were, you know, more or less making fun of each other and Anyway, so I showed up, and I wasn't exactly the most popular kid on the block, and I, my French that I thought I spoke was pathetic. Um, so for, you know, the first six weeks, I didn't have a conversation with anybody. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a TV. I didn't have a VCR. I mean, I didn't have a computer. And, I, you know, I was staying in, like, a, a bed with, like, a cot. The mattress was, like, three inches thick. <laughs> um you know, the shower had no shower curtain, and it wasn't even really a shower. It was just like a thing that like water dribbled out of. I mean, it was like as you had to love the cooking. Yeah, I mean, it was insane. Uh, but like I said, I didn't have a conversation with like a human being for like six six weeks, seven weeks until I finally learned French. When I first got there, a lot, a lot made a lot of mistakes because I didn't understand what they were telling me. You know, so they basically put me in the galley, and I was just you know kind of peeling potatoes and carrots, and you know making mirepoix and. Which was fine, I guess, but um, I guess they do that for all the new people, and they kind of watch your body language while you do this, which I didn't know. I found this out after. Um, and then, uh, you know, I finally kind of graduated from there and ended up becoming, uh, working the, with the Poissonnier, um, and I ended up kind of becoming a pseudo-tournant by the time I left. I got to work almost every station. Um, and, you know, going from people, like, throwing ketchup packets at me when I first got there to hugging and crying when I left because we all uh, so loved said, each other so you much. You said it was formative. Was it formative technique-wise as Everything. a chef? I turned into a man. Like, that was when I became a man. Um, I, you know, not to sound dramatic, but, you know, I feel like I, I went there kind of just as a young kid, you know what I mean? And when I came back... 
Uh, the way I looked at everything was different. The way I looked at ingredients was different. The way I looked at people. The way I looked at the business. The way I looked at a restaurant. The way you know I, that was when while I was there, I still have the book. I was writing out, you know, what I wanted my restaurant to look like, and you know the philosophy that we were going to have when I opened my own place. And that was when I came when I came back from there. It was like okay, let's do it. You know, I mean, um, it was think, and it was do you insane. Think that's something every young chef should do. Absolutely. So is it I mean, to travel think about to it. France, per se, or to Europe, or to Asia, or is it just... Go somewhere where you feel uncomfortable. Good and, and see what happens to you. See see what you can do. I Don't get me wrong, I almost I almost threw, threw the towel in a couple times. Like, I can't do this. This is nuts. Like, you know, there was one stint in the summer, like, they, you know, in the high season, where, you know, everybody works 7 in the morning to 11 at night. You know, you get a two-hour break from uh, 3.30 to, to 5.30. It was, it's crazy. And everybody does it. You know what I mean? And, you know, you look at each other like, you know, like everybody loses like 20 pounds and you're all stressed out and you get bags under your eyes. But like I said, everybody does it. And um, it's like right. boot camp. Thanks for listening to part one of this interview with Chef Mark Forgione on Chef Story. Tune in next week for part two. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>